you have your Bibles, want to turn to Daniel chapter 4, your favorite Bible app, whatever you're using, we'll be getting there in, in just a, a minute. So if you've been here for the last few weeks, or let me say it this way, if you haven't been here, let me bring you up to speed. Uh, so we're in a four-week series on the book of Daniel, and, and so we've, we've uh, kind of working through that. In, in week number one, uh, we looked at Daniel chapter one. And that was, we discovered that Daniel and three of his friends had been, were among the group of tens of thousands of people from Israel when Babylon came and conquered them, were carried back to Babylon to be redoctrinated into the Babylonian way and put into the king's service and whatnot. And our best guess at this time, Daniel, and we now know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were probably between the ages of 14 and 17. So the best guess is they're teenagers when this is all going on. And in Daniel chapter 1, though, they re- we, we, we discovered that they made a decision that they weren't going to be influenced by the Babylonian culture, that they were, they were um, going to do what they needed to do, but at the same time, they were going to remain true in their faith to the Lord. At the end of chapter 1, Um, We're told this, it says, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Um, So clearly there was something really cool. And the idea, because they talk about this throughout Daniel, refers to the magicians and enchanters. It's not a Harry Potter kind of a thing, okay? Um, These are the wise men, the sages, and sometimes they would do different things that are a little more mystical, but it wasn't necessarily, again, don't think Harry Potter when when you're reading this or or understanding this. So then we get to Daniel chapter 2, and ironically, we didn't actually look at chapter 2. We jumped over to chapter 3, but chapter 2, I think, just let me acknowledge it, um, is really kind of interesting because in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon, has his dream. Um, However, it was really different. So he calls all the wise men, all the, the, the magicians and enchanters and people in the kingdom, calls them all together, and then says, all right, interpret my dream for me. And they're like okay, just tell us what it is and we'll interpret it for you. And it's like, no. He says, this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Okay? But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards of great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Like, holy smokes, you know, what, what's that all about? And so just before they're all going to be killed throughout the land, the, these, all these people, Daniel steps forward and says, all right, king, give me a minute, give me a couple, give me some time, we need to pray about this, and, and, I'll, and I'll do it for you. And, and Daniel does. He actually gets Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, says, we need to pray and see God. And God tells him what the king dreamt. He goes and tells him the interpretation um, for it and saves the day for everyone. <clears throat> and the, chapter two ends with, then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Pretty cool, huh? So then last week, we get to chapter 3, and it starts off, we were told that Nebuchadnezzar builds this 90 feet or nine-story high, kind of like an obelisk. We're just told that it's a a monument or some kind of idol. Uh, really not, I, in my mind, I picture it as kind of like an obelisk, like the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. And then we're told that he calls on all the government leaders, 
all the government leaders from all the, across the province. And it says, all right, I want you to gather here. And at the sound of the music, you're all going to kneel. I want you to worship this idol. And, and clearly had a religious connotation to it. But we also get the sense, if you know just how things worked back then, this was a power play. This was a big, you know, I'm bigger than you. You will submit to me. Um, and we get the first indication in, here in this story that Nebuchadnezzar has a pretty big ego. Um, because there's some that speculate that this monument was actually an image of himself. And that's where they're wanting him to bow down to. We don't, we're, that's speculation, but it just, we do get the sense that Nebuchadnezzar is pretty high in himself. And we're going to look more on that here in just a moment. Um, but we know that from the story that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, yeah, we're not going to do that. We're not going to kneel down. And so, long story short, they were thrown into this fiery furnace, yet... When they look inside, they can see from a distance inside the furnace that it wasn't just the three young men who were you know, bound up. They were now free, so they weren't bound up, but there was a fourth man, and it looked like the Son of God. You know, so it was it's one of these big moments of rescue. And then, then you know, Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him, and they defied the king's command or were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their homes be turned into piles of rubble. He really had a thing for cutting people up and, <laughs> and messing up the house, didn't he? I mean, that was his thing, I guess. So um, just we're going to hack you up and burn your house. Um, but if you do this, you know, then that's bad. So then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So there again... This happened. So in each of these instances, so we've gone through three chapters so far. In each one, there's this story that where we see that these young men, they either resisted what was being, they were being what they felt forced on them, or they stood up for God. And every situation, God honored them. And every, and every time they ended up in a better position than what they were before it. Which I think for all of us, there's some lessons in there. Um, one is I think that we should always identify first as a follower of Jesus and not be influenced by the culture and the popular opinion around us. And there's a lot of popular opinions around us today, aren't there? But how does, that, how does those opinions, how does that culture reflect God? And we need to make sure that we're, we're reaffirming and we're identifying as a follower of Jesus. I think another thing that we learn from these, these stories is that our God is more powerful than any other God we might encounter. Any other thing that might encounter in life, God is more powerful. And another, the third thing we learn is that God will be with us through the furnaces of life. It might not actually be a literal furnace, but I think all of us have been in situations in our life where it feels like it. Like we're going to be consumed if God doesn't do something. And we learn that God will be with us through those furnaces. Well, today in chapter 4, um, King Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. Uh, but in this time, he tells the, the wise men the dream, which is kind of him, isn't it? Um, but they still can't interpret it. They still don't know, yeah, we don't know what it means. And, and um, so then he goes and finds Daniel. Uh, what you kind of think, like, that'd be the default. Like, why wait? Just go get Daniel the first time you have a dream instead of waiting to, to find out everyone else can. But so he tells Daniel the dream. And in the dream, we find out that the dream is that in this, in my mind, there's like this big field. And in the middle of the field is this, it says that there's an enormous tree and it's visible to the ends of the earth, 
Okay, so it's huge, and it's glorious. It's a glorious tree. There's a lot of descriptions about the tree. You know, the leaves on it, it's just full, and it's just a thing of beauty. And there's fruit on the tree as well, um, that there's food for all was the reference, and that there's branches that provide, you know, places for the birds to rest. They provide shelter for all the animals. And it says that from it, every creature was fed. So, I mean, it's, it's a huge tree. It's a beautiful, and its influence is significant. And then in the dream, he says that there's a holy one, a messenger descended from heaven. Um, so in your mind, it's kind of an interesting image, descending, this image descending from heaven. And the messenger says, cut down the tree, but leave the stump and the roots. And then it says, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. Um, it says seven times is the word. There's some question as to what that means. Clearly it means a long time. It's more than a couple days or a week. Um, it's generally accepted as it means a year. So for seven years, this was to be his, his circumstances and his condition. So Daniel then, all right, he hears the dream, and um, he's very reluctant to tell the dream the interpretation, or tell the king the interpretation. In fact, it actually, in the Bible, it says, his thoughts terrified him, okay? I mean, this is a guy who, you know, cuts you in pieces and, you know, tears your house apart. And in those days, it wasn't uncommon for the bearer of bad news to actually get the brunt of the kings. So who would want to tell the king bad news? But the king recognizes that Daniel's holding back, and he says, Daniel, tell me what my dream means. And Daniel looks at him and says, you know, I wish it was your enemies, but I'm sorry, but the tree is you. You're the tree. And you're going to lose your kingdom, all your power, all your wealth, all your influence, all of it. You're going to lose it. And furthermore, you're going to live like an animal. You're going to live out in the wild. You're not going to live under roofs. You're going to live out in the open. And you're going to eat grass as part of your way to survive. And he said, but then after seven years, you will acknowledge the God of the Most High and you'll be restored. And then Daniel ends with this. He says, almost in pleading way, he says to Nebuchadnezzar, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. And he says, Perhaps you can avoid this trouble. Perhaps you can avoid this judgment if you just but repent and, and recognize God in that. And then the very next verse, verse 28, which is where we're going to pick up with our, our story here. And verse 28, the very next verse begins, <clears throat> all of this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. So basically it's saying all this did come to pass. Twelve months later, <clears throat> as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. 
I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, what we've just read this passage is just a continuation of just multiple instances where you uh, divinely, and from our perspective, you sovereignly intervened in the life of, of the people involved. And uh, Father, I pray in the next few minutes as we dig a little deeper as to what was happening in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, that you would uh, enlighten us, Lord, that we would see that uh, in, in many ways we are Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, so Lord, I just pray that your spirit would uh, speak to us as you desire today in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's many instances in the Bible where we read of a story, and we know it's a story with a meaning, and, uh, and, and, but the meaning's not really clear. Um, I think of a lot of the parables of Jesus. I mean, some of them are really abstract, and, and when you think about it, I mean, some of them are really kind of like, really, what was it? And it's only when Jesus interpreted, in fact, because the people actually had that response, They're like, wait, what does this mean? What are you trying to tell us? And Jesus would then have to then say, here's the meaning behind your parable. Um, this is not one of those occasions, okay? This is, in this case, the writer of the book of Daniel tells us all throughout the story what's wrong. He tells us what the problem is with Nebuchadnezzar and why this is happening. So there's no guessing as to what's happening. Nebuchadnezzar is full of pride. That's his problem. That's the issue that's going on here. He looked around at all he'd accomplished, all his wealth and a power. You know, he had 150 followers on Twitter, um, he had 500 million followers on Instagram. He was a social media influencer, okay? He was all that and more. And he said, in essence, I am like a god. And the god of heaven said, really? We'll see about that. And clearly, the lesson of, from the experience of King Nebuchadnezzar is don't be prideful. Very simple, all right? But there's a risk, I think, as we understand this story, to think that this story is about, it's for someone else. That we really don't have much application for our own personal lives. Because we might be sitting here thinking, no, I'm not a king. I, don't, I mean, that's not me. I don't have power like that. Or I don't have wealth like that. I, I mean, that's just not me. That's just, you know, and I'm, you know, maybe I'm not even that good looking, you know, so that's not it. You know, so I really don't identify with this. This is not my issue. And I would, and I would um, propose to all of us this morning that even though our circumstances might be nothing like those of King Nebuchadnezzar, there is something in there for each of us to learn here this morning. I think each one of us is born with a disposition towards pride. We're born with it. It's just part of our sin nature that we're born with. So I think the question we need to look at, and why I want us to spend a few minutes looking at here, is what feeds pride in our lives? One of the things we see very quickly with Nebuchadnezzar is that allowing prosperity and contentment to become a sense of entitlement. 
<clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar begins this story by telling everyone, I, was, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. As he begins the story that way. Now, let me be clear, there's nothing wrong with being content. And there's nothing wrong with being prosperous. In fact, both of them are encouraged in the Bible that we should be content. And there's prosperous that, when, that, that God can use prosperity to accomplish his purposes. And so those, those in and of themselves are not bad. But the problem begins when we start thinking, I deserve this. I deserve this. And the reality is, none of us deserve anything. <clears throat> can anyone really say they deserve the good things in their life? Now, if you've been following the news, we now know that England, uh, the, the colonies now have a new king. Um, and with the passing of Queen Elizabeth, Prince Charles finally became king. Did he deserve it? <clears throat> and again, I'm not trying to be a political, I'm not, but I'm just saying that, that he didn't deserve it. He was born into it. All right, it, it was a right of of just of being part of the birth. He didn't, he didn't be, attain this because of anything on his own. There's nothing he really did to deserve that type of, of uh, place in life. Or someone even here on our side of the pond, uh, Bill Gates is an example. Does he deserve the billions of dollars that he's acquired in his life? Now, a case could be made that he's earned it, I mean, I mean, clearly, there's an incredible talent there and a, and a genius mind. And, uh, and I have some of the different accounts of him, the tens of thousands of hours he spent programming and coding early on at the very beginning of all the stuff with computers. And so there's, there, uh, there, there case, a very strong case could be said that he's earned this. But here's something else I, just, I read here recently that one of, I read a study that said if Bill Gates had been born either five years earlier or five years later, he would have missed the, the opportunity. That if he was born five years earlier, the technology was not in place, and that he probably would have went into a different career path. And if he'd been born five years later, he would have missed the window because someone else would have already done what he was doing. And so you, we realize that um, prosperity and contentment are not bad qualities, but feeling entitled is a terrible quality. And if we want to avoid pride in our lives, we must remember God is always at work in our lives, even when we can't see it. I think another thing that feeds, our pride, uh, feeds pride in our lives is taking credit for who we are and what we have rather than giving credit to God. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar thought all the power that he'd accumulated, all the wealth that he had in his possession were of his own doing. This was mine. This is what I did. And the simple fact is, if we're not self-aware, we, self, we can be deceived to believe that we are the source of our achievements rather than God being the source. And that's clearly what we see with King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, let me, let me acknowledge the fact that I think that there's a difference between bad pride and good pride. Okay, so let me, let me acknowledge that. I think good pride is really something is no more than just a reasonable self-esteem. You know, confidence and satisfaction in oneself. <clears throat> it's just, it's self-awareness. It's, uh, it, it's also what causes us to work hard to do our best. You know, there, when I, you know, when you cut the grass, for me, I like cutting grass, and you look back and you see how straight the lines are, you know, and it's like, man, that looks really good. 
You can take pride in that. Now, I'm not going to go and say I'm the best lawn cutter in the world, but I can take pride in that achievement and my accomplishment. Some of us are very good, you know, whether it's seamstresses or there's talents and abilities we have, and we're good at that. To be aware of that and to acknowledge that is not prideful. I mean, I think there's a healthy dose of that that, that is valuable. And again, it helps us do well. It's what motivates us to do well and to succeed and to achieve <clears throat> but like most human qualities and traits, we can take a good thing too far. And that's what leads us to the bad pride. It's an exaggerated self-esteem. It's where we think we're better than others. And that leads to an overconfidence in ourselves, an overconfidence in our own abilities, and it really messes with our relationship with other people. I mean, who wants to be around that kind of a person? Nobody. Too much pride leads to arrogance, where we think that we're all that and that we're the ones. We're the solution to all of humanity's issues. And if everyone would just be more like me, then we'd be better, which is true. If they all were more like me, we'd be better. But that's <laughs> beside the point. <clears throat> that borders on the bad ego, doesn't it? Yes, I, I was, I'm, I'm straddling that line there. So. So let me add one more thing here about this idea about pride thing. Avoid false humility. And what I mean by that is, um, have you ever observed something, um, you, you observe this conversation where someone gave someone else a compliment. And they said, oh, that was great. And, thing, you know, and the response was, oh, it's not me, it's God. And, um, and, and I understand what they're doing. Actually, part of me wonders if sometimes what they're, they're afraid that if they don't say that, that God's going to make them you know, eat grass for the next seven years. <laughs> so they need to acknowledge that, that it's not me as God to prevent that. Um, I, I just don't think God works that way. Here, here's my, and this, this may just be me, but I just think you can be humble and still accept the compliment. You know, I think, you know, just say, you know, that's really kind of you to say that. Thank you. Um, you know, I'm really happy that you found that helpful, or just, just say thank you. <clears throat> However, as you walk away, in your heart you're saying, God, thank you for the opportunity to do what I just did. So you're gracious and humble with the person, but you still acknowledge the fact that they're... Because sometimes when you say, oh, it's not me, it's God, you're actually, in, in a way, you're kind of being discourteous to them because they're trying to appreciate and value you, and you're not accepting it. Accept it, but then move on and say, God, thank you for that. And so, um, yeah, I think you can still be humble and accept a compliment. So a third thing I think that feeds on our pride <clears throat> in our lives is have a perspective that we know what's best in choosing our own way. During the summer <clears throat> between my junior and senior years of college, I was part of a team of five uh, students who, went, uh, who lived on a kibbutz in northern Israel for three months during that summer. And uh, for reasons never really explained to me, I was chosen to be the team leader by the, the, um, by the school. And, uh, but what's interesting, also on the team was a guy named Jim. Jim was 30 years old in college. So he'd been, he was coming back to school after that. And so he's with all these 21, 22-year-olds. And Jim had prior cross-cultural ministry experience. Uh, and so, I mean, it, it was really surprised me that he wasn't selected to be the team leader just because of, you know, just his, his Asian experience and whatnot. And, 
But anyways, but while we were actually over Israel, we had a chance to get together, and, and uh, we had a really good relationship. But I asked him one time, I said, Jim, I said, was it difficult with me being chosen and not you be the team leader? Um, and his response was this. He says, not really. He says, I'd learned a long time ago that I can learn something from any person. I just decided I was going to learn from you. And I was, I was really completely shocked by his response. I was expecting something more like, yeah, it was pretty hard. You know, I'm the older one. I'm more experienced. Yeah, I was really disappointed that it wasn't me. And, you know, in fact, you know, I was tempted to leave. You know, you know I was expecting something like that that would have been more indicative of our human emotion. And that's not what he said. Really what he was saying, what was unsaid in his response was, I trust God. I don't have to be in control. I can trust God with the outcomes of my life. And I thought that was such a wise way to look at things. And it really made the team dynamic so much stronger. I mean, we had a fantastic team. Um, the things that we did and our ability to adjust and do some things that weren't anticipated and to accommodate that because of people like Jim was just, it was an amazing summer. And it really, I think for all five of us, was, was life transforming. I, so his, the wisdom he showed in that, actually, I've kind of taken that as one of my own mantras. You know, there's something I can learn from every person I meet. It doesn't matter their age. It doesn't matter uh, and anything, gender, economic status. It, it, I can learn something from every person. So we talked about here. So the question, what feeds, prides in our, what feeds pride in our lives? this sense of entitlement, assuming that we're the source of all the good in our life and thinking that we know what's best. All these things, I think, feed pride. So with that in mind, how can we guard our lives from pride? I think one of the ways we can avoid pride is to exalt the King of Heaven and know that He is your source. Be grateful. Say thank you. A lot. So much of life is just beyond our control. It really is. Most of it is. So whatever you can find in your life that brings you happiness or brings you joy, be grateful to God for having that in your life. So being grateful, I think, is one, <clears throat> one way that we can guard against pride. Another way, I think, is to acknowledge that God does everything right and all his ways are just. So after the seven years of, of living like an animal, King Nebuchadnezzar was given a second chance. I love his response in verse 37, what I just read here a minute ago. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. We may not always understand why things out the way they do in our lives. And unfortunately, sometimes that lack of understanding can leave us feeling hurt or even angry with God. Ultimately, we must come to a place where we can say, God, not my will, but your will be done. I think another way we can avoid pride in our life is to, just, is to be intentional about walking in humility. Be confident of what God can do through your life. Acknowledging God's work in your life allows you to walk in humility. 
No, there's a, a quaint saying. Um, it says, if you start your day on your face before the Lord, there's nowhere to go but up. A person on their face can never fall from that position. I like that. So my encouragement to all of us is this week, be attentive to those opportunities for God to reflect his power and his glory through you. And if someone acknowledges your efforts, be kind and gracious and say thank you. And then be grateful to God for the opportunity to reflect him through the lives of other people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so very grateful for um, the example of King Nebuchadnezzar. And it, in many ways, it's kind of a fantastic story and just uh, what it's about. But at the same time, the message for us are so very basic. Um, but yet they're also very difficult because we are so human. And sometimes we lose sight of that and we forget. And uh, Lord, we allow human emotions and we allow other circumstances uh, to invade our thoughts and we incorporate those into the way we live life. So Father, help us to be a, a people who first and foremost are just are grateful. We're appreciative. We recognize your work in our life and that whatever we have, and each of us has something, whatever we have, Lord God, that we're, we're just grateful to you for, for giving us uh, that blessing. And Father, for any here this morning who might be struggling, um, I just pray and ask, Lord, that you would um, free them, release them. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Now I'm going to ask if just to keep your heads bowed and eyes closed just for a minute longer. I, I just sense that, um, I think for some of us, again, it might not just be this issue of pride per se as we talked about it, of arrogance, but pride is also a reflection of the need to control. And I would wonder if there's some here today that, you know what, I, sometimes I just feel, I have a hard time letting go and trusting God, and I feel like I need to control things. And really at its root, that really is an issue of pride. And I'm wondering here this morning if God is, might be, the Holy Spirit might be tapping you in the shoulder or saying, hey, there's things you need to let go of and trust me. And if that's you here this morning, I'm wondering, just allow me the opportunity to, to uh, just agree with you in prayer. Would you just look up at me, let our eyes meet, and you can close your eyes again. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. May God's freedom come to you this morning. Thank you. Father, um, sometimes we just, we feel the need to control because we're afraid, we're fearful. Um, Lord, there could be so many other different emotions. But God, at its core, it's where we think we can, we can do things better than you. And that's nothing but pride. So Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. Help us to recognize it for what it is. Lord, thank you for the courage that these have shared or shown uh, just by acknowledging it. And Lord, may they find May they find peace. May they find freedom here this morning. As in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. So this week, look for ways to be not prideful, <laughs> but to share, but to be a, a vessel that God can use through you. Um, I, I, I was really intentionally wanting to put in this thing about being confident. I don't think we need to run around wondering, oh, I, don't I think there's a healthy confidence. God has blessed each one of you with some amazing talents and abilities and skills for his glory. And as long as that's our focus, God, 
I want to I be used by you for that. You're going to see things in your life, maybe even this week, that you never dreamt of before. And I think that's really cool. So, amen? Amen. All right. Well, as you leave here today, I know Len and Sue are going to be up here wanting to pray with you. If you have any prayer concerns, if you want to, we have self-serve communion. If you want to take communion before you leave here today. And um, again, say hi to Pablo um, on our way out. Grab a cup of coffee and have a chance to, to hang out together and uh, enjoy fellowship with one another. Let's stand for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and protect you. <clears throat> May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for coming. <laughs>